This session is from the 2023 Shepherds 360 Church Leaders Conference. For more information, please visit shepherds360.org. While the ladies are still coming in, I'm going to ask a couple of questions. How many of you are pastors' wives? We've got quite a few. How many of you are ministry wives? Okay. And the rest of you, are you in some kind of ministry or along for the ride? We like to have everyone here. Anyone, everyone. Well, the clock, I, they want us to stay on a very tight schedule, so I'm going to begin. My name is Rebecca Lutzer, and I'm here with Vanessa Ellen. We're, we're working together today. I'm going to speak for a few minutes. She's going to speak for a few minutes, and then we're going to have some Q&A. And I don't know if we can answer your questions, but we will try. Uh, my husband has been a pastor for more than 40 years, so that makes me a pastor's wife for more than 40 years. That was not a position that I, I sought myself. God just plunked us down in the pastorate when we had been married about um, two years and we're expecting our first child. And I didn't know a thing about being a pastor's wife. So that was a, a school of hard knocks and soft knocks for me. And God gave us three daughters we raised. They're all married to wonderful Christian men. And they've given us eight grandchildren. Uh, one family lives near us, another family lives in Missouri, and the other lives near Indianapolis. So it's that Midwest, so we kind of get all around to see them when we can. And sometimes we travel together, we do some things together. So I hope you have an outline. Now, I've used this outline for just pastors' wives, and I did not have a chance to edit it down to make it more ministry wives. So I'm not going to um, talk about everything that's on the uh, paper there. It's just kind of a, an outline to help you uh, follow along on some of the things I'm going to say. Yeah, come right up and get one. Thank you. I'm also going to do a few minutes on marriage conflict resolution and that is one of the dip most difficult areas of life for a pastor's wife and perhaps even the ministry wife is your marriage because you're a public person your husband's a very public person and you have no one to talk to or go to you're not going to be seeking counsel from people necessarily or sharing your problems or struggles with other people in your church or your ministry and it is very lonely when you have marriage problems and you have no one to talk to and you don't know how to resolve them so I'm going to share a few things from the school of hard knocks and things that I have learned so let's open in prayer Heavenly Father we thank you that you are our guide and that your word is truth and it teaches us how to live and how to manage our lives and all the difficulties and the people that are part of them. Thank you for all of these ladies who are here to hear from your word, to learn, 
to be helped and encouraged. Please do that for each one of them as you know their lives and their needs and what you have planned for them. We thank you for your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, surviving or survive and thrive as a ministry wife or whatever you're doing these days, whatever God has guided you to. I say first and foremost, our commitment is to our husband, not to a ministry or to other people or to a church or an organization that our husband's needs and our children's needs should take place first over all of these other uh, places, ministry or church. Unless the church or the ministry also hires you in a paid position to feel, take care of and fulfill certain responsibilities, my view is that you should not take on just whatever you're asked to do if it's going to take away your time from your husband and your family. I know of, of several uh, situations where pastors' wives are paid to do certain ministry in the church, whether it's children's work, the leading the women's ministry, or doing counseling. So when you come to a ministry, it's usually your husband is hired, but sometimes you're asked to do this and do that, and they find out, oh, you know how to do this and that, and soon you're very busy. And I, I don't like that for uh, ministry leaders' wives or pastors' wives because it really takes away the significance of who you are as a wife and a mother. All right, we're going to skip several of these. If you're interested in some of the other points, you can ask about that when we have Q&A. I'm going to point five. Like it or not, you are the object of much attention. I like to tell women, dress up for Jesus. I've seen women dress up just in the most lovely, beautiful way with jewelry and a lovely outfit and go to a concert or go to a dinner. Of course, we dress up for weddings. And then they come to church looking a bit shabby. It's like, hmm, Jesus is not as important as some of these other things. The verse in Proverbs 11.22 is so picturesque. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. Ladies, I think we must be modest and we, we, we are an example for other women, especially younger women who are not being taught modesty. I am so surprised sometimes walking through an airport and I see women, I wonder if they even got dressed. Uh, and women on the, in the media on TV and in the news uh, are not, I don't think, very modestly dressed. And seems that sometimes the more you've got, the more you show. And I, I just, I'm very uncomfortable with that, especially for a Christian woman. So I think as being a person, as we have been in the ministry all these years and wherever you are, uh, that we need to always be on time, we need to be friendly and kind to people and interested in others. Uh, when we are talking to others, and especially another woman, now this, this is hard being a pastor's wife, because on a Sunday morning, a lot of people want to tell you something, to ask you how you're doing, to maybe just minister to you, but so often they want to talk and tell you their problems or 
their needs. And we're all busy. We're rushing to the next thing, to the nursery, to the meetings, to the everything. I think if we pause and we look directly in that woman's eyes and we smile and we just listen and focus on them, even if it's just two minutes, and then acknowledge what they've said and say, you know, thank you for sharing that with me. Maybe we can talk later or I will pray for that and be sincere. If you will pray, then pray. If not, don't say that to someone. I'll pray. But I, I think because we are in the public eye quite a bit that we have to share ourselves with other women and uh, just be willing to give them a little time. Number six, which is on the list, it's six, but it's only like my third point today, that we should consistently coordinate our calendars with our husbands. This will eliminate so much uh, friction, conflict, disappointment, frustration. If you have a central calendar somewhere in your home, in the kitchen, on the wall somewhere, and everything should go on that. Everything you're doing, hair appointments, the kids' doctor appointments, the kids' sports events, the activities at school, the meetings at church, your invitations out for dinner or whatever you might be involved in socially. Because we can be so surprised and frustrated or even our family life be disrupted when suddenly We've, we find out we have to rush out the door and go to something which is important, but we did not know about. And those surprise meetings can really <coughs> be rough and when you're not prepared. So I, that's just a word to the wise. Who is this man I married? I, I, I thought of asking this question a long time ago because as a pastor's wife, I couldn't really think of my husband as my pastor. He, he is and has been my pastor, but sometimes I didn't feel that he cared as much about my needs as he did about all the people in the congregation because that was his job. And sometimes I felt left out and not as cared for, perhaps, as maybe some of the other people did who had a pastor. So uh, this was kind of uh, an interesting thing. When I, you look at your husband, you know him better than anyone else. You, you see the spot on his tie, the wrinkle in his shirt or on his suit. And he's standing up there ready to preach and break the bread of life or teach or guide others. And you're seeing him as your mate, your husband. He's the man you made love to on Friday night. I mean, you know, these things get really personal. And sometimes it's just hard to think of your husband belonging to other people and that you're sharing him and that perhaps you're, you're lonely and you're maybe left alone when he's traveling or in ministry and busy. As a pastor's wife, as I got to know other women in the church, I found out their husbands were very busy too. And I had to learn to not feel sorry for myself, that my husband had another meeting, or he had to be at church again, or he had to go somewhere. 
women's husbands, you know, airplane mechanic, lawyer, doctor, called away, all busy. And so it wasn't just me that was feeling lonely or left out because everybody's husband seemed to be busy. So that helped me accept all of that. Now Elizabeth Elliot said there are two truths about marriage. One, you married a sinner. Two, you're going to hurt each other. So what are we going to do about that? We must figure out a lot of things because men and women, almost contrary to what we hear in our culture today, are very different. We have different hormones coursing through our bodies. We see things differently. You know, bottom line, you and your husband are never going to see things the same way. You have different backgrounds, different places in your growing up family, different educational opportunities, just influenced by different things in your life. And I kept, I came up with the final thought that the main difference between my husband and myself is the man and woman difference. So wasn't there a saying a long time ago that men are from Mars and women are from Venus? And they really are. So anyway, we just have to figure out how to make it work. Um, we'll have different likes and dislikes. You know, one likes the room cold and the other likes the room hot. And one likes this kind of music and another a different kind. And one likes this movie and the other one likes another movie. And on and on it goes. So we just have to figure it out. And another thing that I have found not only in my own marriage, but talking with a lot of other women, is that men and women can do different things. Your husband may be able to do a more uh, domestic kind of work than men usually do. Some men love to cook, and don't deny that to him if he likes to do that and say, just think about how lucky you are. Um, some women don't like to cook, some women don't like to do this or that, and the husband loves to do it. And so instead of sort of always friction rubbing against each other, find out what you each like to do and do the best and let each other just do, do your thing, and then there's harmony. Uh, some men don't like to pay the bills and don't like to keep up with all the finances and everything, and you might be just great and very organized, and I know of several situations that that's true. So don't get stuck in a rut and think that, oh, it just has to be like this. This is the way my mother and father did it, and so we've got to do it this way. But just as you, as you know that man and he knows you, then you figure out what will make your home run the smoothest. All right. Number nine, a pastor belongs to everyone, or a ministry man or ministry husband belongs to everyone, even though he exclusively belongs to you. I think we must give our husbands the trust and freedom to do the work God has called them to do. Amen. And that may have them spending a lot of time away from home with other people. You might feel lonely and left out, but find something to do productive with your life, some ministry, some way you can help others, even working. Uh, when I became a pastor's wife, 
they didn't work outside the home. I, I highly recommend that young women stay home with their babies and their preschool children. Somehow you can make that happen financially and other ways. But as they're in school, and you sometimes can find ways to work from home or to have other part-time work so that you're still available to your children and to your family. I think we have to just pray and talk and communicate. We need to have patience for each other. We have to pray about all of our options and the things going on in our lives. And sometimes we just have to compromise. Something's not working out. Instead of arguing over it or being upset about it, solve it. Just lay it out and say, well, would this work? Would, would that work? And try different things. I've had women talk to me and just, oh, we've just been fussing over this and going over this for so many years and this doesn't work. Well, instead of arguing, solve it. Compromise and come up with a solution. And then I'm going to speak about marriage for just a few minutes, so I'll leave that other thought here. I think husbands should never be alone with another woman, that is another woman who is not his wife, and that counseling that's done should be done with the door open, somebody else there available. In this day of, of cell phones and everyone's taking a picture of somebody doing something, it's just, it's not safe, it's because people say things, and so we must be very careful. So we're gonna skip to number 13. Be careful of what we say to others. Eventually you will know a lot of things about a lot of people. Information that you received in confidence and private should never ever be shared with anyone else. Not as a prayer request, not in a group meeting, not, it's just, we don't. And when, when your husband comes home and shares something that's been given to him or that he knows that you too would just have a pact that it stays between you and you pray and and we don't uh, gossip about things that we know. Um, we pray for people uh, with things that are more common knowledge. If more people know about different issues, prayer requests, things that have happened, then we can speak about it. When I was a new pastor's wife, a dear lady who was the age of my mother gave me the best advice I ever had. She said, just be yourself. While I'd only been married a couple of years, I was expecting my first child, I had no idea what I was doing. I, I thought, well, be myself. I don't even know myself. I don't, I'm here in this new place. And so years passed before I felt confidence to just be myself. And I made my share of mistakes and blunders along the way. But as I honed my skills and learned many things, I became confident in who God created me to be. I didn't have to be like Karen or Patty or Nancy or anyone except who God made me. And the ladies that I felt um, nervous with who could do everything and their homes were perfect and, you know, their kids weren't perfect, but 
I felt inferior to them. I didn't grow up in a home where I had a mother who taught me the things I needed to know and was hospitable. I didn't have any of that, and so I needed to learn a lot of things. And as I was willing to learn, I became confident in God's calling to me to be who he, he made me to be. And then the best promise I ever received comes from a, a verse of Scripture. Our lives are full of suffering. As Elizabeth Elliot said, suffering comes in small ways and big ways. Suffering is having something you don't want or wanting something you don't have. You think of, think of women in a marriage who are unhappy, they want out. Think of the, the woman who's been waiting for years for God to send her a man to marry. So here, this woman has something she doesn't want. This woman wants something she doesn't have. This, this is true through just about everything in life. And so Elizabeth Elliot reminds us that suffering comes in lots of ways, big ways, small ways, and some horrific ways, some hard, grievous, sad ways. Accidents, illness, injustice, wayward children, death, even unhappy and difficult people can make our lives very difficult and hard. But God has a promise in 1 Peter 5.10 that says, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, establish, and strengthen you. To me, that is that verse just it gives me such joy and encouragement to know that when things are hard, I don't like what I'm going through. Our life is just sad. These these ways of suffering and the trials we have as human beings, God is using that. He's changing us to be more like Jesus. And in the end, he promises that he's going to restore us and strengthen us and establish us. My life verse is 1 Corinthians 15.10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. So if you don't have a life first verse, find one that describes your life as a Christian. It, it might, there's just so many, I couldn't even, I could suggest quite a few, but as you read this scripture, if there's one that just resonates with your heart and spirit, that you should memorize that and claim that and read it often. I've had much physical suffering in my life and many trials that I did not want, didn't ask for. But I've also had so many privileges and opportunities I didn't deserve and I didn't ask for. So God is the one who chooses, and he, he guides our footsteps and our ways in the darkness when we don't know what to do. In the end, it is God who chooses what he wants for each of us because he knows what his plan and what we can endure the limits of our endurance are. He also knows how stubborn we are and what we need to become more like Jesus Christ, for his grace is sufficient and he is faithful. And so my, 
words closing this portion is never give up. Now, a little bit about, oh, here, I should read this. So sweet. John Piper said these words, occasionally, weep deeply over the life you hoped for. Grieve the losses, then wash your face, trust God, and embrace the life you have. And that's what gives you joy and peace. Someone has said, I don't know the author, I am strong because I've been weak. I am brave because I've been afraid. I am wise because I've been foolish. And so that not that our story, all of us, as we journey through life? Okay, I don't know how many minutes I have left. I'm probably already over. But working through marital conflict, I am going to give you a verse that I believe is the gold standard verse of marriage. It's, it's really a verse for everyone, of course. <laughs> Ephesians 4.32 says... Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Simple verse, quickly. Kindness is being sympathetic, helpful, forbearing, gentle, providing relief or pleasure. I'm going to say to your husband. Being tender-hearted is being easily moved to love, to acts of kindness and compassion being understanding, showing pity or sorrow at the right time. Forgiving is absorbing the hurt or loss and letting them go free like Jesus did and not mentioning it again. So you bear, you bear the pain. Kindness refers to our physical relationship, being kind. Being tenderhearted refers to our emotional relationship. Forgiving refers to our spiritual relationship. In this one little verse, you've got these three words that tell us how to relate to one another, but I'm applying this toward marriage, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. If your heart is hard toward your husband, I, I'm telling you, just beg God to soften your heart. God can't work when your heart is hard, when your heart is hard, because you can't see your husband with love and kindness and gentleness and forgiveness. And so then the problem really is with you or the person with a hard heart. Ask God to soften your heart toward your husband, and then all kinds of things are just filling your mind that you see yourself in a more true way. It's not just your husband. We have to admit when we're wrong. We have to be willing to forgive without punishing the other person. Being stubborn or angry, haughty, bossy, nagging, demanding, or insisting that we are right is wrong, and all of those things are sinful. So when we choose to say, I'm sorry, or I was wrong, or I forgive you without playing games and, and carrying on and holding it over them. Freedom. You can be kind. You can be tenderhearted, and you can forgive. I know that there are very grievous kinds of situations in a marriage that people do things that hurt each other terribly. 
And so you might have to approach your husband in a different way. If he won't talk to you, write him a letter. Call, uh, send him a, a note or, you know, in some way communicate with him and say, our marriage depends on us talking about this particular thing. And begin talking and working these things out. And if your husband is not responsive to that, then you may have to say, I need counseling. We need counseling. If you will not go with me, then I must seek it on my own. And so God, you just pray and pray and ask God to guide you to change your attitude if it needs to, to give you wisdom, to train your mind and heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, to display the fruit of the Spirit, which is so hard to do when you're hurt and you're angry. So I just, just a few words then that I'm, I'm giving with you now. You know, what would a marriage counselor say to you? Probably the same thing, but they'd take 40 sessions and charge you $5,000. <laughs> so this took five minutes for free. So let's think about these things as God guides us and shows us how to live in peace and love. Vanessa, sorry it took so long here. And as she's coming up here, I have a couple of books here that I don't think they're in your bookstore. One I've written for children on doctrine, awesome Bible verses every kid should know, written on their level, in their language, life-changing Bible verses every woman should know. And I deal with a lot of topics in here that I've not seen a lot of other women authors uh, deal with. So you might, they're on Amazon, you might look for those. Okay. Hello, ladies. Good. How are you doing? Good. That was a lot, huh? Did you breathe it in? And did you see yourself somewhere? Oh yeah. Somewhere on your street, she was. Well, they just asked me to come and give you a concept of the things I've learned as I've traveled this journey of being a ministry leader's wife. In December, if the Lord allows, it'll be 26 years that we've been married and. That entire time, I have been a ministry leader's wife in some shape, form, or fashion. My husband started out as the assistant pastor or assistant to the pastor. Then he was assistant pastor, then co-pastor, and then pastor. Uh, so we've seen a lot of different things. How many of you have children? They didn't come with a manual, did they? <laughs> right? See, I feel like uh, in 26 years, probably there was a book out there, but no one handed it to me. No one told me to be aware. No one told me, be careful. No one said, they are coming for you. No one said, it's your fault whether you were there or not. No one said these things to me. I've read so many books. I said, I think I'm going to write this book called Help, I'm Trapped in a Fishbowl and I Can't Swim. Because <laughs> I didn't realize that there would be these thousands of thousands of eyes upon you. So if I can, just briefly kind of cover couple of things that I think that I've learned, and it has been the school of hard knocks, but God has used it as a sanctifier in my life so that I grow up in the grace and the knowledge of God. The very first thing that I would say to you is be careful of perceptions and expectations of others. Do you know that when you get there, if he calls you or you plan to whatever, they already expect something from you. They already have a perception of you, especially if you are coming in behind a pastor and his wife. Well, maybe she'll do what he did. 
well, maybe you don't do what she did. You know, just know there are always going to be some type of perceptions and expectations of you. Howsoever, I would say, remember, the most important thing is what God expects of you. And you've got to remember that because if you do not, you will be sitting in the corner, rocking and eating bonbons, trying to fulfill all the expectations and perceptions of everyone in the congregation. And you're not ever going to do it, right? That's not going to happen. So keep that in mind. Uh, everything that we do must be to glorify him and to serve his people. So when you start asking yourself, why are we here? Why are we doing this? Remember, it's to glorify God and to serve his people. Ministry can get very hot. It can get very heavy. Anybody know that to be true? Anybody ever been in a ministry firestorm? <laughs> it is hot, right? Yes, and you've got to know how to maintain yourself in those matters. But I would say this, remember to always glorify God and serve his people. I remember there was a time in the very beginning when I asked my husband, and I was very serious, like, do you have any other skills? <laughs> like is there anything else that you could do can you dig a ditch can you hang some wires is there anything else on earth that you could do now I, I would just like to say this I didn't come into the marriage understanding what I was buying and I started looking for the return policy real quick because no one really told me that yes I came in under a really good pastor's wife and she shared some things with me but there's nothing like living in it, right? So I didn't fully understand. Also, I came into it as um, I had been saved maybe five years or so, and I was still working on submission. <laughs> like, I already had him I was trying to submit to. Now you got all these other people who want something from me. Yeah, it was a real sanctified, I must say. Anybody like me? It took all these 26 years for the Lord to help me understand this is a part of his plan for my life. So the next time it's really, really hot, just remember this is a part of God's plan for your life, right? So perceptions and expectations. Now, the other thing I wanted to say to you is be careful of the expectations that you put on yourself. I think that she alluded to that earlier. Be careful of trying to be all things to all men at all times. You don't have the energy to do so, and you also weren't created to do so. There are many gifts in that church. God sent many different things. He adds to the body as he sees fit. You're not the only gift. You don't have to do it. Now, remember, sometimes we do that because we have the fear of man. So we are trying to please others. It's not always what they're putting on us. Sometimes it's what we ourselves are putting on us because we anticipate how a ministry leader's wife should look or how we want to be perceived by others. So be careful of the expectations that you put on yourself. I used to think that every time my husband went out to speak, I had to go with him. So in the first five years of marriage, I was everywhere doing it in the kids and we were always, you know, and then they got older and then they had this and they had cheerleading and this and that. And I kept a skirt in the car, you know, <laughs> you know, I thought that was in the little ministry toolbox, you know, pastor's wife, you got to keep a skirt in the car and some shoes and, you know, and it depends on the church you go to because do they wear pants? Do they wear skirts? Put, keep them both in the car. This was the life, right? First 10 years. Finally, I settled in trying to realize that, listen, I have autoimmune problems. I have serious health issues. It was so freeing the first time I said, I'm so sorry, but I'm not going. <laughs> <laughs> I shouted for a while. <laughs> My husband understood that. But that was, you have to get to the place where you understand what you can and cannot do physically and mentally, but also don't always be the no lady. 
You're just saying no just because of no. I, I don't want to be bothered with them people today. Right? You have no real reason not to be bothered with them, but the answer is no. Be careful of that as well. I would say this. Remember to show love to the unlovely. Anybody ever met some unlovely ladies in the church? The very first thing that I realized is that I, too, one day, way back when, before God saved me, I was very unlovely. So the same grace that I received is the same grace that I need to be willing to receive. And you have to understand that they need to learn and grow. Maybe you're the example that they need. You're love. You don't have to respond evil for evil. You can give a blessing. And, and believe it or not, that may very well win them over to Christ, not to you. You're not trying to make friends with everyone in the church. That might not even be where you find your friend base, depending on, you know, how you feel about that. But just remember, your job there is evangelism discipleship as it is on your other jobs in the grocery store at the bank it's no different in the church right it's all the same just remember show love even when they are being really 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 you know you don't know it nobody's known it yet oh you you know what i found the best thing for me is to take a deep breath while they're talking loudly to Ask God in the middle of that, God, how can I be a vessel for you? What can I say as a soft answer that will turn this wrath? What can I say? And, and the other thing I would add here is that even when people bring a rebuke to you, because they'll bring them, right? Don't dismiss them all immediately. Because I think about this. God used the donkey, didn't he? Why would he not use your enemy? Why would he not use someone? Maybe the whole 99% of everything that she's saying about you and to you is incorrect. But what if God used her to bring that little 1% to help you grow? Can we hold on to that? Can we embrace that? Can we ask God about that? So I would say be careful to always show love. And then one of the last things that I would say to you is that take the low road. Now someone should have just said, ouch. You don't always have to take the high road because you're the ministry leader's wife. You can take the low road. You know what I mean by that? What do you think I mean by that? Somebody, what do you think I mean by that? Maybe not to sugarcoat the situation. Yeah. Yeah, but also what else? What do you think I mean by that? Being a bigger person, a better person. More spiritual. You who are spiritual restore such a one. You can take the low road. You don't have to get in the middle of it with them. You know, it's like, well, they're gossiping and they're slandering against my kids. Okay. You address the sin, but you don't have to address it the same way that they're addressing you. You know, you have to take control and walk in the spirit and not walk in the flesh. And I think that you heard that earlier and it was very, very, very key to this whole thing, which is remember your covenant is first. Remember to love him. Now, the one thing I will say about that, and then maybe we have some time for questions, is that thing I had to learn was this is the way I say it. People will try to get you to carry bitter water. That's the way I say it. They will tell you things, but they're really talking to your husband. Mm-hmm. They're talking to you, but they're not talking to you. They're talking to your husband. 
You have got to learn to identify when someone's trying to get you to carry a cup of bitter water. What does that mean? You listen, but don't listen. Some things don't need to be repeated. Some things they say to you, you should not carry back to him because it's not even helpful to him. It's not going to edify him. It's not going to build him up. It's not going to grow the church. Some things are just murmurings and complainings that don't need to go. And they don't always sound like a murmuring and complaining. So you need to analyze if this is something that needs to go back to him. Okay, thoughts? I think we have time for questions for both of us. So in that situation, usually I've tried to um, just always ask that woman, hey, um, there's my husband. I'm going to walk you over so you can share that yourself with him. And then all of a sudden, they don't want to share. Yeah, 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 yeah. If they are so bold to actually tell you it's about him, most of the time it's cloaked. Mm -hmm. uh, they'll say something like, you know, I, I was just wondering why we now have a 7 o'clock service. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was just wondering why we didn't go through the book of James, you know? <laughs> what do you want me to do with that? <laughs> Usually I'll ask them, okay, and what did you conclude in your wandering? Yeah, that's a good one. You know, I usually put it back on them. What would you yes. have me, or, or I'll say, is there a question that I can answer for you? You know, I'm waiting for what you want me to do with that. Anybody else? Questions for both of us. I have a question about having friends in the congregation. That was on your list, but... Mm -hmm. Oh, I think it's wonderful to have friends in your congregation. But you're not going to hang out with them all the time. You're not going to have them over at your house all the time. You're not going to talk about them all the time. You'll be discreet, you'll do things together and enjoy each other's company, but I think we need to be loving and friendly to all the ladies and, you know, like you said, there may be women who are going to take advantage of that and take too much of your time or always be complaining or whatever, so just use your good common sense about that. I found it to be um, a road less traveled for myself. It may not be for you. I think we're all individuals and we figure that thing out. But for me, I found that what works is that they believe that I am their best friend. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm loving on them. I am caring for them. I am serving them. There's no reason on this earth that they wouldn't think that, hey, she's my best friend. They're not my best friend, which means what? I don't go to them looking for my comfort of my problems in my marriage. I don't go to them with the problems in the church. I don't go to them. I recognize it's a position that God has given me. So for me, it's the road less traveled. I build deeper relationships with other mm -hmm. ladies mm -hmm. in ministries elsewhere yes. that we can share our personal struggles without it damaging the ministry. That's right. Good, good question. Anyone else? How do you encourage your, obviously we all have ultra hardworking husbands and we want to be their, you know, encourager, prayer warrior and all of that. But how do you encourage them when you see that they are, how do I put this, like they're working so hard, they're neglecting their own soul care, um, that kind of thing. Like you're, you're, you know, right, you're one flesh. So when your husband's hurting, you're hurting and you know there's things that they, there's ways they could be living healthier. 
um, when they're not constantly giving of themselves to the church, um, where they need to take care of themselves, let's say health, whether spiritually or physically or otherwise. How do you do that without nagging? <laughs> <laughs> that Yeah, that could turn into that. But as you, you're kind and tenderhearted and you're feeling their needs, just sit and talk and just say, honey, how are you doing? How's it going? You know, are you are you burdened with certain things? Uh, do we need to take a break here and get away for a couple of days? Uh, do you need more staff members? Uh, just talk it through and, and sort of brainstorm as to what you might be able to come up with that would relieve some of his burdens and the stress that might involve some other people. Yeah, yeah. I would only add to that that you can't solve it all for him. He has seasons in ministry where he has to be 300% in, and then there are seasons when he has to be out. If there's a church discipline, a matter, if there's a thousand meetings, he ha you know, there are times when he may not be able to disconnect the way you think that he should. So what I trust is that he's in tune with the Lord, and then I do exactly mm -hmm. what she was communicating. I find ways to reduce it at home. Mm -hmm. If I am maybe got an issue with him, it's not time to bring those issues forward. He's already got issues going on in the ministry life. I adjust the I adjust what I can control. Things that I can't control, I don't. If I can control by giving him, you know, fruit salad versus something else, or if I know all day they've been running from house to house, a hospital to hospital, and they really didn't have good food, I make sure the meal that's waiting for him is there. Or it could be simple something as simple as, you know, all the kids are out they're in bed or they're gone or whatever. And I know that he's been traveling for five days. He'll be home at 7.30. I've got a hot tub ran with a bubble bath. We're all married and me. <laughs> you can only control what you can control. I would, I would caution a woman trying to bring down any pressures that he has at church. That's, you can't control that. Or even to say, honey, is there something I could do for you that would help? Yeah. Help you out? Maybe there is. Maybe yeah. not. Yeah. How can I pray for you in that issue? Or, you know, it, you also got to know your husband, I think. Does he want those questions? Does he not? Does he, what is he, your husband, how's he built? Touch him. Give him a back rub. Mm -hmm. Give, you know, just say what, you know, is there something special you'd like tonight or something you'd like to do? Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes they don't give themselves a chance to relax. But when you do that, and you mention it and talk about it and maybe plan something, they're like, I didn't have time to come up with that, but thank yeah. you so much. Yeah, yeah. That's wonderful. I think we are over time. I do a little something on YouTube for pastors, wives, and women in general. And if you go onto my YouTube, and I'll put it up here for you, I've interviewed several pastors' wives. So when you go to my YouTube, you click on playlist, it's going to say pastors' wives. Martha Peace, many other women on there, where we've asked maybe some of the questions that you're asking, and we know we don't have all that time here, so I invite you to that YouTube, YouTube page. And it's Vanessa with an E and Doctor with no period. Thank you all. Yes. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Yay. Thanks for listening to this session from the 2023 Shepherds 360 Church Leaders Conference. This material is copyrighted and may not be altered or sold. For information, please visit shepherds360.org.